Hello, friends, and thanks for listening to the Capital City Soccer Show, your independent source for everything Austin FC. On today's show, we're going to cover a little bit of the MLS's back tournament, Austin FC's newest collaboration. We're going to give a quick update on season tickets. We're also going to talk to Rudy Mateo, who's a Pflugerville City Council member, and we're going to just kind of pick his brain a little bit on on his thoughts on the intersections of race and soccer. And we'll also find out how Mexico fans in Austin feel about the Hector Moreno rumors. My name is Landon Cottom, and I'm joined as always by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey there, everybody. This is Jeremiah Bentley. Um, Landon, I know we we talk Austin FC a lot, but um, can I have a can I have a couple of minutes to talk about Liverpool? You can have two minutes. Two, no, two minutes I, yeah, exactly. I, on the, uh, yeah. <laughs> kidding aside, I'm very happy to see that they that they won the league. So uh, yeah, talk all you want. <laughs> Thanks. No, I think it's just uh, as somebody who's been a fan for you know basically my whole time, I've been a real hardcore soccer watcher for a dozen years or so. I've been a huge Liverpool fan, and so for them to have the opportunity to finally, for the first time in 30 years, win the Premier League, like the last time they won it, it wasn't even called the Premier League. Yeah, I meant to look up. I meant to look up what it was before, and I don't know. I think it was maybe just the first division or something. But I think we, the Premiership is what it was called. Is that right? The Premiership. Yeah. There you go. So, but it's just been it's been quite a long you know ride, and uh, they looked really good on Thursday, and then they had a chance to pick up the victory because of uh, City losing to Chelsea uh, on Friday. And then I know um, we both had a chance to watch it. So how about Christian Pulisic too? Yeah, man, he's. He yeah he's he's been very very good since the uh, since the comeback so that's been very exciting to watch. Yeah, they, they, I read this one. I think it was their was Chelsea's second goal, or was it was it their first or second goal that he scored? I think it was he scored second. the first one and then okay. almost scored a second one, and it got got kept out um, by uh, got kept out by the keeper, and then which led to the handball, which oh, then led yeah. to that second goal. <laughs> Yeah, I was my wife was like, "What is going on in the back room?" Because they were they had so many chances to blow that wide open, and they're you know they had stuff off the woodwork, and then the handball, and it was crazy. But yeah, the goal Pulisic scored. He was just just ran past everybody. He was just the fastest person on the field, and had a real clinical finish. It was great to see. Yeah, and the game um, we're, we're recording on Sunday. He, they played this morning against Leicester, and he looked um, didn't didn't score and didn't get an assist or anything. But again, looked really really good. And I just don't see a way. Uh, Lampard can keep him as a, a regular, not necessarily starting every game, but as a regular starter and playing any chance that that he can get him on the field. But um, yeah, it's I, I saw a tweet the other day talking about how how there are still Americans who underrate Christian Pulisic, and I think I've been guilty of that in the past. But it's I think it's one of those things where like if you casually watch a team then you notice when someone does something really great, but in whenever they're just like do it looking average or just like their off ball work, you're not paying as much attention to that because you don't care about it. But with these American players, like I'm paying super close attention to them. And so I, not only do I, I notice when they do things good, but I notice when they mess up too. And <laughs> the truth is like all players mess up on things, on little things here and there. And so it's, it's just been really cool to like have Pulisic just make it, blindingly obvious that he is a player who deserves to be playing at, at one of these these top tier uh clubs in the world so um that's been a lot of fun to watch also Gio Reyna has has gotten a lot of playing time over the last couple of weeks and he hasn't done anything as um hasn't influenced the game as much as Pulisic has in these last couple of games but he's a 17 year old kid playing in like a central attacking midfield role he's if you look at the diagram, he's showing as kind of a winger, but he's really playing in kind of those those channels, like those inside channels off of the striker. And those wingbacks are the ones pushing up higher and playing in those wide channels. So it's a lot of responsibility to and a lot of trust in a kid that young to put him in that in that position. And he's he's shown that he belongs. So uh still some improvement to be made, but watching those two has has been a lot of fun. Not not to mention Weston McKinney and some of the other Americans that yeah. have looked pretty good too. But um going back to Liverpool for a second, since it's kind of been just like obvious that they were gonna win for so long, did that take anything away from it or were, was it still really exciting for it to finally happen? So it was, we talked about this a little bit even on the day leading up to like James Vincent, who's the other like the biggest Liverpool fan I know, and now we're having this debate and Cause he wanted to win it on the field. And I'm like, it's been so long. It's just like, let's just win it. Right. And have it. Was, so it was exciting. 
Um, and it was a relief. And actually, it was like I enjoyed it more than I thought I might, considering that they that they weren't even you know they weren't even playing. And then then Friday morning, get to get, get in, go through like going through Twitter and watching every single video um, for the player celebrations to the. Uh, um, you know, another thing that I really, really am inspired by is sort of how Jurgen Klopp has embraced the fans of the city. And it's just, that's my dream for Austin, right? Is that there'll be this love affair between the supporters and the, and the coach, you know, Josh Wolf and sort of the green wall or whatever, whatever we're going to be, uh, you know, in, in a way that is really powerful. And I, I could kind of see myself as an Austin FC fan, hoping that we would develop that same kind of relationship too, which makes it even better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Wolf isn't the the character that um, that Klopp is by any means, but that that relationship can can develop in a lot of different ways. So yeah, I I, I think that that is those those are fun little things to look forward to for sure. Yeah, and I did. I saw the players were trying to get him drunk enough to get a couple of days off too. That was <laughs> I read that on Twitter because the, the man does enjoy his beer as as all Germans should. Like the man yeah. enjoys a pint. um so let's let's move back into to some not necessarily austin fc but austin fc adjacent news so the mls is back tournament starts uh is that next weekend on july 8th that's yeah it's on july 8th it's it's, two two weeks two weeks from now um but the first mls teams are starting to arrive in orlando into the bubble is what i've been seeing it be called in in uh, news outlets and stuff like that so players are arriving to the bubble it's exciting to see that to start happening, um, but there's been some really concerning news coming out of Florida as well. Just Florida in general is one of the worst places in the country right now and worst places in the world right now regarding coronavirus. And so um, that that is not... They're going to be taking a lot, of, um, a lot of safety precautions to keep these players safe and to keep the disease from spreading, but already there have been... Uh, two positive tests on site in Orlando. And we don't know if that's all players or if it's staff or whatever that is, but uh, MLS announced um, on today, on Sunday, that 18 total players and six staff of MLS clubs have been have tested positive prior to traveling to Orlando. And then of the teams that have since arrived in Orlando, there have been two positive tests on site. And so it's it's just kind of scary and it, it, I hope that they're able to do this in a safe way. And like I said, it's, they're taking a lot of precautions. So I think they're doing it as safe as possible, but just the current conditions, they limit that safety to a degree. Right. Right. Yeah. It's just so widespread. There's it's almost impossible to be completely safe. And so they haven't really said what they're going to do with, I assume if you get a positive test, you can't play. I, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, what I from what I've heard, and I think a lot of this is coming um, not from necessarily official statements, but just from different reporters are saying. So Tenorio and Stage School, as always, are covering it super tightly. Um, I think they essentially just go into quarantine, and I mean, all all players would would have to be tested and things like that. But uh, it, it would they would just be watched really closely, and I don't think it would necessarily knock the team out of the competition just one positive test I don't think necessarily would as long as they go through testing and all of the other players come back with negative tests, then I imagine they would let that team go on. But if it gets to where there's three or four players test positive, that might be a, a thing where they would have to start pulling teams out of it and, and or maybe delaying it, or I, I'm not sure exactly what would happen. But yeah, you're right. The, the league hasn't said exactly what that's going to look like. Yeah, I guess you could have a situation like the uh, Orlando Pride in the NWSL tournament, right, where they had, I think it was maybe a half dozen positive tests, and they had to pull out and make that nine-team tournament an eight-team tournament. So, you know, if it gets to that point, I guess you can you can see something. Um, you could see something like that. I think that's the same. I think maybe there's a golf has started. I think the PGA started, and I, I, I think it's the way they're doing it. Is if players test, they just can't play in the tournament that week. They have to quarantine, but they just carry on without them, which I guess is all you can do at this point in time. Yeah. Um, so from a, a soccer perspective, how, how are you feeling about this tournament? Are you, are you excited for it? Yeah, I'm excited for it. Um, I, look, I did, I did watch one of the NWSL matches on Saturday, which made me miss, you know, American soccer. And they did a really, did a really good job of, of, of presentation. And I mean, the game was, the game was actually pretty, pretty exciting. So that was North Carolina um, and Portland. Uh, is who played on Saturday. Like okay. they, they looked, 
yeah, it was like back and forth action. It was a lot better than like that Liverpool Everton first time back kind yeah. of game. So I think <laughs> that was super dreadful, but yeah, I mean, I think soccer wise, I mean, you know, it's been hard to find a lot about predictions about how the, the matches are going to go, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And to have basically, you know, nonstop soccer more or less all day. Um, I know there's like two night games every night and maybe a morning game too or something. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm excited about the schedule as well. Just it's because I'll be able to get up and watch a game before work and then get home after work and watch a couple of games at night. And so it's it's kind of like the World Cup in that way where like you can watch games during a, a big chunks of the day, but because they're kind of spread out and like not going on during the workday. I know a lot of the the recent World Cups, I haven't been able to watch as much of it as, as I'd like because of work schedule. But with this schedule, I, I'll probably be able to watch pretty much any game I want to, which is pretty exciting. Yeah. How, how are you feeling about it? Are you ready for soccer? I am. Yeah. I'm, I'm, re- I'm really curious to see what it's going to look like, kind of like you, what you were saying, because the... NWSL, like you said, they're playing in stadiums, right? And right, right. They're, the, they're playing at USL Stadium, and then they're going to play at Rio Tinto, I think, for the I think semifinals and final. So that's going to be like the look, kind of like what we're seeing in the European leagues. Um, the MLS tournament is happening at this huge soccer complex, which I'm not even sure if these fields have stands around them. So they're th- like some of the fields may, some of them may not, but it's not going to be a big stadium. It's kind of like a a training pitch or like a youth soccer pitch where there's maybe just some bleachers on the side. So that will make it look way different. Um, I think there's, it, it gives some, some opportunities to do some interesting things, but with how quickly this has been thrown together and how little information we have, we just, it's hard to tell what it's going to look like. But um, from a, from a, just a sports perspective, I'm ex- extremely excited. And I, I was really excited for, the original start of the league to start up because this was the last season without Austin FC. And so I was just learning as much as I could about the league and uh, setting up fantasy teams and reading up on all these teams and doing all this research. And then they played two games and it was over and that was it. And so it was just like, uh, just a very unsatisfying thing to happen. And so I'm excited to, to get back into that mode and just like kind of that learning and consuming mode and just, um, getting as much of the league into into myself as I can, so that whenever Austin FC starts up next season, that I'll be, yeah, just know as much about the league as I can before we have our own team. Yes, this would be a really good opportunity for that. I was looking the so, I guess the expansion teams get the they're playing the first day. So Miami's playing Orlando uh, at seven on the eighth, and then Nashville's playing Nashville's playing Chicago at nine thirty. So right off the bat. Um, on the first night, you'll get to see uh, see what the new clubs are are like, um, and I guess maybe they won't be at as much of a disadvantage as they were, you know, when the regular season originally started. Since everybody's everybody will be on even even terms as far as preparation goes now. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, to an extent, I mean, they'll they'll have had more time to watch film and just kind of on a on a theory level get on the same page with each other. But these guys still haven't played with each other very much and really haven't even trained together all that much with their coach because they added that their coach really late in the, in the game. And so I think they'll still be at a disadvantage uh, from from that aspect. But yeah, I mean, MLS is already an extremely unpredictable league and thrown into a, a tournament like this, that makes it even more unpredictable. So there's, yeah, there's a lot of unknowns, which... I think we'll make it a really exciting tournament to watch because anybody could win and anybody could make it out of those group stages. Um, so Andrew Wiebe of extra time and of MLS wrote an article kind of doing a uh, predicting the groups and predicting the, the winners of each group. I don't think he actually went into predicting who would go for, go deeper in the, in the playoffs or anything or like in the knockout round. But um what what did you think about that about his predictions in that article i mean it's you know it's a pretty good article it's the best one i've found we'll put it in the show notes too um i just went back through and read it right before we did this and i guess unsurprisingly his predictions aren't the teams that are the best teams or the ones that are going to win every group like <laughs> yeah. he, it's like oh toronto seattle lafc you know which i guess is all it's that's all we can do because it's hard it's hard to tell how people are going to react or how um, you know, like we talked about in the last show, like if Carla, Carlos Vela's wife's going to have a baby and he's even going to be there or whatever, you know, with this, 
unpredictability of it. I think it, um, I think it will be a challenge, but yeah, it, it was, it was a pretty good overview of, uh, of all, of all the groups. Um, and I did like his dark horse teams. I thought those were interesting. And then he had a little like player to watch in each of the groups. So it was good to, to have some indication of maybe these will probably be the guys that I'm looking out for, you know, in the tournament is to see, see how it panned out. Um, and like you, I think this is, will be a really good chance to really learn a lot more about the game because there's going to be so many opportunities to watch. Yeah. Are, are there any of these, his predictions that you disagreed with or that you thought were just interesting and stood out? Well, I think, um, you know, the, uh, what is it here? Yeah. Like group D the Kansas city and Colorado group, I thought was, was an interesting one. Um, and I then think that's a tough group. I, yeah. I it looks like a tough group. And I totally forgot about Giuseppe Rossi even being like back in MLS, um, until I read this article. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the, I mean, the, the group with the two LA teams, I think the, like the highs in that group are, are the highest, but this is a, the, this group D is pretty evenly matched. It's, um, Kansas city, Minnesota, Colorado, and Salt Lake, which there's, there's no scrubs in that group. There's no like clear favorite either. So there's, I I've seen, um, people picking Colorado to win the whole thing. And here in Weeby's predictions, he has them getting third in the group and possibly not even getting out of the group. So I think that will be an interesting one to watch. Uh, and then the, I think what most people are calling the group of death is group F which consists of uh, LAFC, Portland, Houston, and LA Galaxy. So, um, and Weeby has Galaxy, he picked them last in the group, which could very well happen. They they could win the whole thing or they could come in last and I would not be surprised by, I think I'd be more surprised by them winning the group than them coming in last. Yeah, that just shows, shows how unpredictable it all is, for sure. So if you guys want to... Um, to check out that article. We'll, we'll put a link to it in the show notes. Also extra time has been doing some really, really great, like in-depth rundowns of, of everything about the tournament, as well as have, um, Paul Tenorio and Sam Stachel and their podcast allocation disorder, and then articles in the athletics. So we'll put some, some links to, to those things in the show notes, but they're going to be the experts on this kind of thing. Uh, the thing that we are hoping to be experts in is covering Austin FC. So let's jump into some more Austin FC stuff. Last week, we talked uh, a bit about the Hector Moreno rumors. And so I thought it would be a fun a fun thing to do to talk to um, fans of the Mexican national team that live here in Austin and are excited about Austin FC and to see what they think about these rumors about Hector Moreno. So I did a poll on Twitter and then did another one, another one on the, um, the Austin FC fan page on Facebook and the, the results, did, did you see the results, Jeremiah? I wanted to ask what you, like what you would have predicted these results I... would be. Well, that's a very. I'm, I'm glad that you used a very scientific polling method, like you did. Uh, you know, Twitter, Twitter, and Facebook. Being, oh yeah, being great, being great for that. Let's <laughs> practically gallop. Um, yeah, I I was not surprised that that people were so positive um, about him. So what? Tell, tell, what were the numbers, Jeremiah? So it was I've seen seventy three. Okay, and I can't. Okay, you have to tell me. So seventy three percent for and twenty seven percent against. What were your for and against phrases in that? Oh, <laughs> um, I, I use some, some Mexican slang in it and I need to give a shout out to Rigo Rodriguez for, for helping me out with that. Cause I, I had some ideas for what I was going to put in there and he, he gave me the, uh, the affirmative one, which is a huevo, which is literally translates to like, like an egg, like huevo, like as in an egg. <laughs> okay. Um, but it's like a way to like respond enthusiastically in the affirmative, <laughs> And then the no was no mommy's way, which is like, that's like a very, a very common saying in Mexico, but um, yeah, it's 73 to 27. So most people are feeling quite positive about, about these rumors. Uh, I tried to dig into some of the people who, who responded negatively to it. And I think most of them were thinking that, like Hector Moreno is our like number one, like top big star signing. Uh-huh. And so, and then some of the other people who affirmed, who said that they would be for it, gave a caveat of saying, 
yeah, I would, I would be fine with that being one of the signings as long as there's like some other, like an attacking player, another big name coming in alongside that. Uh, so like from a marketing perspective, I think most people want to see an attacking player or just like a bigger, more exciting name than Hector Moreno. But from a soccer perspective, most people um, that I spoke to, uh, specifically um, Jay Torres and Enrico Rodriguez, both said almost the exact same thing, saying like, yeah, a good, solid player to have in the back, really comfortable on the ball. But we'd also like to see a more exciting name on the attacking side of the ball as well. Yeah, that's that's fair. I, I'm not. I wouldn't be surprised um, by that by that reaction. But he does seem like a, it seemed like a good tool. I know Glenn Davis had him on for what two different had him on two different shows. I think I interviewed him um, in pretty much in depth. And you know, Hector is definitely a big fan of Austin. Like I just find it yeah. hard to believe. Find it hard to believe this is all just a coincidence, right? And if there's not some something real behind it. Yeah, like it's. I wouldn't be surprised if there was like, yeah, already very deep talks going on. I'm not sure exactly what, what those rules look like um, as far as like Austin being able, like being allowed to talk to him at this point. But um, yeah, he, he's not, not being shy about, about expressing his interest in coming to MLS and specifically to Austin. Uh, So yeah, we'll, we'll we'll be following this closely, and as as more develops, we'll we'll have some more some more information on that, and try to talk to some some more informed people about it as well. So, uh, let's jump into some other Austin FC news. Something that I was super excited about is this Black Pumas collaboration. So, Black Pumas, if if you guys don't know, is a uh, kind of like a neo R and B soul funk band um, made up of. Eric Burton is the singer, and then uh, Adrian Quesada is is a name that a lot of people know as from Grupo Fantasma and Brownout, and he's a producer of a lot of different bands as well. So, um, yeah, Austin FC released, or sorry, Black Pumas released an a co branded T shirt with Austin FC, and so it's like the the Black Pumas logo, but it says Austin FC instead of Black Pumas on it. So, what what did you think about that, Jeremiah? I did, I thought that was really I thought it was really cool. And then what was the number on it? I think was thirty one, which is a Black Pumas, thirty three, thirty three. Sorry. Yeah, it's a reference to a Black Pumas song, which I had to yeah. look up. I didn't quite catch that, but um, yeah, it's apparently just a reference to a Black Pumas song. But that, that um, was cool. I mean, and what a good. I mean, it's a great uh, connection for the club to make because I mean, I feel like they're like they're they're the band right now, right? Like they just kind of came yeah. out of nowhere and like definitely I, like the biggest Austin band right now. I think. I yeah. mean, they were nominated for a Grammy last time around um, and been on whatever, like before the, the pandemic stuff happened, we're on like the Tonight Show and all these late night shows. And then since then have done like these uh, like Zoom recording calls where they've called in and played on different shows as well. So, uh, yeah, they're a, a big national act, but probably the the biggest name in Austin right now as far as music goes. Um, what do you think about the, like kind of this marketing direction for the club? Well, I'm, so we've, we've heard, you know, all along this, you know, they want to be the club for all of Austin, right. And North and East and South and West and all different types of interest in music, you know, and not just in on game day, but I feel like this is like one of the first things that we've seen or, or heard that really kind of, that really drives that home. You know, it's yeah. really like a connection to the community and not just, you know, not just about soccer, but about, sort of Austin and who we are and what we stand for. So I think that's a really cool um, thing. And I expect there's probably going to be more of that coming too. Yeah. I, uh, back in the day, like in the earlier days of Austin FC, I was, I, I thought about this kind of stuff a lot. And like these, these kind of collaboration things that you would see other teams, like other MLS teams doing with local establishments or local artists. And I was like, I really hope they they're able to do stuff like this in Austin and looking at like at the front office staff we had at the time, it was hard to see how that was going to happen, um, which was it was short sighted of me because like I think Andy Lochnane does a great job at his job, but his job is not doing this kind of stuff. Like it was never going to be that. And like he's he's kind of again I think I think Andy's great. I like him. I think he's great as a job, but he's he's a business guy. Like right. He's and that like this isn't the kind of stuff he was going to do. And so trying to visualize those front front office staff members putting together this kind of thing 
it just made it difficult for me to see how that that kind of stuff was going to happen. But like I said, it was short sighted of me. It was just just the people who were going to make those things happen hadn't been added yet. And so James Ruth coming into the club as as the uh, the marketing person. I yeah, I those those people who are going to be making these cool things happen are there now. And I think this is just just kind of the the first thing we're going to see. But I, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of other cool stuff to come in the future as well. Yeah, I think I think they really have. He, James seems to have spent his time really digging into the city and uh, kind of figuring out you know what the what the vibe is like. Um, and it really seems to have picked up on it with stuff like this. Um, so did you get your ticket? Did you get a ticket email last week? I did. Week? Yeah. And so did you? So I had a supporters deposit. I ended up switching it to general because I have two kids and I just felt like they probably were not going to be able to not be able going to be able to stand the whole time. How about you? Um, I already had general and I think I'm going to leave it with general and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about this in a bit, but um, the Taylor, Taylor Twelman's tweet where apparently he was in town and got a tour of the the stadium and yeah, tweeted yeah. videos of it. But um, yeah, I, I think I'm going to stick with, with uh, the general seats um, I mean, it, I would like to go down into the supporter section every once in a while, but I know enough people that like that are going to be in that section that there will be extra tickets floating around whenever I want to yeah. go down there. Um, but yeah, I, I think I'm going to stick with the general ones. And so let let's go. Is there anything else you want to talk about with the with the general tickets? It, I mean, it just seems like with that email coming out. I think it's like imminent, like they're going to, this is going to happen within the next few weeks, probably. Yeah, I think, I think so. And, I, um, you know, they keep, well, there's an article on Cap City Soccer that really breaks down the pricing. So we probably don't need to go into it, but, um, I know that I did talk to the ticket guy, uh, before deciding whether to switch or not, you know, and he again, emphasized this 75% of the tickets could be under $48 a game. And, Kind of, so I think about was about eight hundred dollars or something. Is just that? over eight hundred, yeah. yeah, for the the most expensive ones. Yeah, so they they keep they keep that going along. So that's good to hear. But yeah, every time we get an email, um, it makes me excited. That's a little more real. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, let, talking about Taylor Twelman's tweet, um, wh- what did you think about that? Did it did it like give you any extra insight, or was it just like a cool new view of the stadium that we hadn't gotten yet for you? One, it was, is this like the the way it came about was kind of wild, right? Because it's just, I mean, Taylor Twelman just tweeted from the, like there wasn't any, there's was nothing else around it, you know? And, you know, because I, 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 like I follow a lot of people that tweet, you know, construction um, views or go to the site or whatever. So at first I just thought, oh, well, that's neat. There's a, there's a view that I haven't seen before. And then, then I went back and looked, and I was like, well, holy crap, that's Taylor Twelman. Yeah. <laughs> you know, providing that view, like not, none of the usual suspects that like do all the stadium photos. Yeah. Just another, another sign that like, this is becoming a real thing when Taylor Twelman is just tweeting random, like Austin FC news, because that's what Taylor Twelman does, right? Is he tweets MLS news. And yeah. so, uh, yeah, another, another just sign of, of it being a more real thing. One thing that it did for me was we were talking about the, the general and supporters, tickets the view from from that like just the eye line from that that press box level i was trying to decide if i wanted to do on that east side like where most of the general tickets are going to be if i wanted to do an upper level one like close to the front on the upper level or close to the back on the lower level so you can just trying to know like what that eye line is going to be and what the vantage point is going to be as far as like being able to see the tactics developing on the field and seeing that eye line, it, it like convinced me that I want to do that upper, that upper level on the east side to kind of have that higher, that higher sight line onto the pitch. So, um, yeah, I, it helped me out a little bit because I hadn't seen a camera angle from that high yet. So thanks, Taylor. That's good. Yeah, and I guess you know the day before everybody saw um, that they had like finally painted the press box area and like put a logo on the side, which seemed odd, but. Now it all makes sense. Now you understand why they had a, yeah. they had a very important guest coming in <laughs> yeah. and they, they wanted just, just like me, you know, they wanted to clean the house up a little bit and make it look presentable for, for company. Yeah. Speaking of construction, they have now officially broken ground on the St. David's performance center. Um, and what was the timeline on that? Jeremiah, they, they said when they thought it was, was it like March of next year, March of 21 yeah. that they're hoping for it to be done? 
Yeah, I think it, yeah, that's right. And I believe that they're still online with the original timing that they announced, even way back when they announced the St. David's Performance Center being a real thing. Is that the groundbreaking would be in July and then it'd be open, it'd be open next spring. So uh that was the first groundbreaking I had seen in this time of everybody wearing a mask. So I like, yeah. like I don't know who those people in the picture were, like because you could only see, you know, you can only see them from like their eye line up, but I'm sure I think maybe Josh Wolf was one of them. He's fairly recognizable. I thought the exact same thing. It was just like, and they were all standing really far apart from each other. And so to like fit them all in the camera angle had to be pretty far back. And so I was just like, Oh, this is so bizarre. Like they're all wearing masks. Like, I don't know who any of these people are, but I'm excited that, about what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Good for them. Good. For them. <laughs> all right. Um, I think we're done with Austin FC news for the time being. So let's transition into this interview with Rudy Mateer. So, uh, Jeremiah, you've known Rudy for a while now. So do you want to give us a little intro as to who Rudy is and, and why we decided to have him on? Yeah. So Rudy, Rudy and I have known each other for six or seven years. We did this leadership. We did a program together called Leadership Austin. Um, we were in the same class and sort of connected through our love of sport and our love of soccer. Um, and we stayed in touch. And since then, Rudy's uh, been elected to city council in Pflugerville. Um, and he's on a lot of, of boards around town and stuff. But most importantly, he he grew up playing soccer. Um, his daughters play soccer and then he's been a soccer official for, for most of his life. Um, and then he has an interesting perspective of sort of the intersection of, of race and soccer. And when the, um, when the club made their announcement, um, about what they were going to do in response to the institutional racism issues and this civil justice stuff, uh, Chris Bills interviewed Rudy. He was one of the people he talked to. And so, um, he had some good points about accessibility and affordability in soccer. And so we thought it would be good to have him on and hear his perspective. So let's cut to that interview. All right. We're happy to be joined on the show today by Rudy Mateer, who's a Fleurville city council member, a friend of Bentley, but most importantly for this show, he's a longtime supporter of Austin FC and heavily involved in area youth soccer. So thanks for joining us today, Rudy. Oh, no. Thanks for having me. I'm pretty excited about this. Okay. But, okay. You've got to answer one question for you before we start, Jeremiah. How did you get the idea, you and Landon, regarding doing this show? This is pretty awesome. That's a very good question. I don't, I think that's just like there was an open call for people to do a show and different people showed up and eventually people like dropped away and dropped away. But Landon and I love hearing ourselves talk. Um, and so, so we kept doing it. I think, I mean, I think that's how it evolved. What you, what's, what's, what's your uh, opinion of our love story, Landon? Yeah, I think we were the people who showed up on a regular basis there for a while and then kind of took it over and made it our own and have just kept doing it. Oh, so, perseverance. Yeah. There you go. That's Enjoy. a secret to podcasting <laughs> yeah. success. Yeah. yeah. Take, take that as a lesson, kid. <laughs> well, that, I mean, that's been a lesson for you too, right? Like in your professional life, you know, don't, if you if you keep showing up at something, people will put you in charge of thing, right? I mean, isn't that basically how you got on Pflugerville City Council? Yeah, yeah. I, I love how you put that. Yeah, you know, you know, voluntold, put into situations, you know, that, that's what it is. You, you know, I'll say this, and, and you know, I, you and I have spoken that before. You said I had no inclination whatsoever to be in city council. Uh, you know, you know, I'm a practicing lawyer. I enjoy doing all the bar stuff I do, and I love the community service. I love soccer, obviously, so. I enjoyed, you know, being out in the fields, doing that aspect. And honestly, they, you know, I had a city manager. I had several city council members and city community leaders who came to me and said, hey, listen, we really think that you can make a big difference serving on the city council. You know, you tend to be someone who looks at all sides of issues. You, you know, you, you listen and, you know, and you're, you're willing to lead when necessary. And we kind of we're looking for someone like that. And, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, God works in mysterious ways. And I was blessed and, you know. Ever since, you know, I got elected, uh, it's been, it's been a ride and it's been, you know, it gets interesting at times for sure. Um, but you know, it's a wonderful experience. Definitely. Yeah. And for sure now with everything that's going on, it's, it's extra, super interesting in, in 2020 and kind of the times we're in, um, you know, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on is, you know, with everything that was going on in, in the community around policing and racial justice issues and, and things, Austin FC came out with a statement that's a couple weeks old now. Um, about their commitment to community, but then, you know, it was kind of, I mean, they did the whole like brand statement, you know, this stuff is bad and we need to change, but they also, 
they also took they also like uh talked about some action steps they were going to take um and i know you had chris bills from the statesman had a chance to to interview you and we read some of those notes and thought like your perspective um on how austin fc could fit in the community and and what they were doing and you know maybe how they could they could do a little more were, were really interesting that's why we wanted to have you on so you can you expand on what we talked about then and what you shared with chris yeah, and I've got to say, Chris did an excellent job um, reporting. I mean, he's, he's doing a really good job covering the, the team in general. I think that, um, you know, which what he was looking at, when the ideas that he looked at, you know, he looked at it from a lens truly of not just sports, but equality and equity. And he was trying to see further what Austin FC can do on certain aspects and things um, to, you know, let's be honest. Sports operates a very unique perspective and um, sphere of our society. It really is one of the great, you know, commonalities that bring people together. I mean, that's the coolest thing about sports. And one, and all sincerely, one of the awesome things about how Austin FC here. And with that ability to be able to bring people together and bridge gaps that normally people wouldn't even cross, Austin FC has a really unique opportunity to help go ahead and support some of the, you know, some of the local folks, teams, organizations, kids, I'm just being blunt with you, that haven't had access or the ability to play soccer. Because in, in, in a lot of ways, unfortunately, Jeremiah, soccer has become a middle to upper middle class sport. And there's a lot of families who can't just afford, let's be honest, just the base tuition of $3,000 a year, not even including the kit, not including travel expenses, not including tournaments and everything else that usually can get you up to easily, you know, five, $6,000 a year for their kid to play soccer at a high level. And because of that, I feel like at times we're losing a lot of kids who would excel and do well in the sport, but because of their socioeconomic means, they just don't have the opportunity to go ahead and play and develop at a high level. So where, what role do you see the club being able to play in that? Um, like what, what kind of ideas do you have for how they can help, um, help sort of achieve equity in youth sports in the community? Wow. You know, from what I've seen, and again, we talk about, you know, you show up and therefore that you end up being in a position of power. You know, I helped, I was vice president and then president as well as the Texan Soccer Club. And I saw firsthand how hard it is to run a soccer club and truly be there to make sure that these young men, you know, boys and girls have an opportunity to play the sport at a high level. And one of the hardest things I saw flat out talking to you about is that when it comes to cost, when you're looking at cost and running a club, the two biggest things that are, are barriers are not just the tuition that you're, or the, um, the, the, the finances that go to paying for coaches, but also just taking care of field, field maintenance. Between those two, you're eating up close to 75% of your budget. You just are, if not more, between those two right there as well. What's awesome about having an MLS club and a club with the recognition that people involved like Austin FC is that they can either help directly help um, clubs either through tuition grants and working from there as well. Because, I mean, let's be honest, a lot of these clubs, a lot of these teams, a lot of these players, you know, the future of Austin FC, they want to aspire and get to that club. So they're going to end up being places that kids may be playing at a portion of their career, but really they're going to want to play for, you know, the highest level and some of the best clubs, you know, the best areas in the league and in the community in the region, they're going to want to go to Austin FC. So they can look at that, looking at seed money, seed grants to some of these clubs and see what they can do to help offset costs, particularly when it comes to field maintenance and field operation. Additionally speaking, Austin FC has a unique opportunity to actually allow for players who just flat out could not afford to play the sport and have them play at their, you know, level through scholarships and grants. And because of what um, the MLS is doing now, I mean, and, and this is why everything that happens here has a dramatic a domino effect, everything else down the boat. Because they're actually rewarding people who are actually being drafted, who actually are funneled through your, your programs, which is, you know, which also your youth programs, and then ultimately have the ability to be you know, drafted by the MLS or, you know, club payments, et cetera, from there. That makes a huge incentive and a huge difference for some of these clubs to be able to develop these, these kids at a young age and then get them and have them matriculate through and then get rewarded at the end at the MLS level. So Rudy, did you play soccer growing up or did you come to it later on in life? Yeah. So great question. So my parents are Haitian immigrants and first generation. 
So we're Haitian, we're French. So that's, you know, we're talking about football, you're talking about soccer, <laughs> you know, and my dad, I mean, he put me out there when I was three years old and, you know, I, and, and all sincerely, that's when I love the sport. I, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed the sport. I ended up playing um, all through grade school. My dad coached me then, uh, then high school, played for high school level, um, actually played for the Texans for a bit. Dallas Texans, when, you know, when Hassan Nazari first had Dallas Texans a long time ago, you know, from there. and the only reason I even fell back into the sport here, Lynn, and I'll be honest with you, is because my 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 oldest one, the one who's 17 years old, Celeste, she she got interested in playing the sport too as well. And so I was looking, okay, you know what? Let me see what I can do to help make a difference and help do that. And um, again, Jeremiah's again right when he talks about how you just get put in situations. I'm like, oh, hey, I'm willing to help. Oh, we can use you as a board member. Boom. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, board member, that's not going to take long. Yeah, that's another 40 hour a week non paying job that nobody ever tells you about every year. With it. But, but the cool thing about it, though, is that you, you really get that smile and that enjoyment in your face when you see these young boys and girls playing the sport and really enjoying the sport. You know, when you're out there on a Friday night lining fields, kill, you know, putting, you know, ant killer on mounds and working over there as well you may not appreciate it as much but you know what something i still enjoy uh, even to this day and yeah you see the smile creeping on my face is that i love the start of the spring or fall season and and when you go out there around 6 30 7 o'clock in the morning and the field's just completely quiet it's in the complex and you look around and you're like wow you know what this is going to be a great day this is gonna be a great sort of season and you just you get excited thinking about the kids that are going to love the sport that you love and they don't have the ability to play that. That's pretty awesome. So have you seen the interest grow sort of as MLS has become more of a thing and, you know, Austin FC has become um, more, more prevalent in the community. Are you seeing this? Are you seeing more excitement, you know, on the fields or at the youth levels um, around soccer? Absolutely. I would say this. I think that a big change in how Americans viewed the sport Literally, it was when they started to look at Premier League and they started to look at the European leagues and they got interested in the leagues. Our generation, you know, you, Lane, and I, our, our age group, you know, I, I'm not quite sure what it was. I mean, I still vividly remember my dad taking me to the World Cup, you know, and, and going to the Cotton Bowl and be able to go to the game and how awesome that actually was with that. Maybe that's because that happened in our age group. You know, that's something that affected with us. But we, we have had a different mindset than prior generations when it comes to the sport. And honestly, we've had a more of a sophisticated palette per se. Like, you know, we're more cognizantly more aware of the sport with that. And we're passing it on to our kids. Couple that with the fact that I remember when the MLS started, I was like, man, okay, okay, we're going to have a soccer league here and we're going to try to compete with what they're doing in Europe. We're going to build up the talent and be able to sustain that. And look how long that league has come, you know, I can, I, I'm shocked about the MLS right there. And it's not, it's not only just been here hanging on a vine, it's grown and it's actually, you know, attracted talent. It's actually changed communities. It's made a big difference in the landscape of soccer, not for just professionally, but also at the, you know, the federation level, USSF level right there as well, which trickles down to the youth. Austin FC, you know, you know I'm, not, I'm not being facetious. And I'm not um, tr- trying to be a kiss up with saying this, but they have gone about the right way when it comes to getting these kids excited, getting this community excited about the sport. They have done excellent job with the grassroots efforts, really starting with the local clubs. You know, um, one of the things that I really enjoyed when I got involved early on, you know, trying to help recruit the, you know, the team to Austin was that I knew for a fact that I had a lot of families who have kids who were really excited and love the sport. And they would jump at the bit anytime an opportunity to go ahead and see a professional match whatsoever. So I knew the groundswell was here. And what Austin FC has done a really good job of is actually navigating and get into those folks, getting involved with those clubs, getting involved in these communities, and then just spreading the message and excitement and, you know, at a level that, you know, it's going to be a fever pitch when they open up next year. In fact, what I would say is that I think the MLS will benefit more from Austin FC than Austin FC does from the MLS. Mark my words. It's going to make a big difference in the landscape in the MLS having this club here in the region. 
that's beautiful. I'm sure, I'm sure that the club will love to hear it. So, and I remember, um, so early on, I mean, way back when, you know, it was like a vision, we both ended up shooting a video over at the Elizabeth Christian PR office. Right. I think at the same time about, um, you know, about this whole movement to bring it. How did you get involved? How did you get involved with that? You know, did somebody, some random person like call you up and ask you to come shoot a video, you know, contribute (laughs) your name or whatever. Like what was your, what was the origin of your involvement with, with the whole movement? I think the random person for the video may have been a person with a beard and glasses on who may or may not be on the podcast right now (laughs) regarding that. But, uh, you know, it's, it's funny how the world works, right? Because a lot of people are very surprised to hear about my love and um, involvement in, in, in soccer do soccer, do sports, et cetera, because they see me as a lawyer or they see me as a council member. So they, they, they don't see that aspect to me. And I, I got to give a lot of credit to, because I'm not quite sure, you know, outside of, you know, Germany, just a phenomenal advocate, you know, Kellen Robinson, other folks with there, I mean, you know, Eric Reitman, phenomenal advocates for the sport. Um, you started to see the interest in where it was going and you wanted to help broaden that net and broaden folks with it. And from my viewpoint, my thought process was again, okay, I know that there are people, not just in Austin, but in Georgetown, Round Rock, Cedar Park, Pflugerville, Huddo, Bastrop in the region who, who were just champion at the bit for, you know, for a sport. Because, you know, something I always tell people is that make no mistake, Austin FC is not an Austin club. It is a Central Texas club and its tentacles and everything else that goes. When you look at the actual tree branches, the way I look at it, I tell them is that it represents the entire region. And what was really cool about um, getting involved, you know, so early on with this thing is that you you were helped to able to articulate that to folks and talk to people who were um, in the decision making process saying, hey, listen, you may not see the vision. You may not see where this is going right now, but I guarantee you that if you bring this club here, if you go ahead and follow and try to get this here for that, it's going to benefit everybody in the region and bring people together in ways that, you know, hey, ride or die, Texas Longhorns, hook them. You know, and, that, and that's my university. I say all my debt and all my education comes from UT. But, you know, having a professional sports team like Austin FC is going to be a, a very different animal and I think a very necessary animal to help bring people together who aren't Longhorns. You know, this is something that the Aggies, the, you know, the Red Raiders, you know, you know, the Bears, everybody else, Bobcats. Oh, there we go. Yeah, Land- yeah. yeah Landon's a Red Raider, so good. <laughs> they can enjoy as well, you know, and, and, and that's what's awesome, and that's what the spirit is about youth sports. You know, Landon, when you asked about, you know, if I'm playing my whole life, my dad taught me early on, you know, I guess when, you, when you're trying to assimilate, when you're, in, you know, you're an immigrant, you're trying to assimilate to the country. And so, you know, he taught me very early on about how sports really brings people together. And no matter who you are, you know, where you live, you, you know, your, your city sports team, that's your city sports team. You know, between that and all the top 40, you know, 80 songs that I know, because, you know, we listen to top 40 music all the time. And similar. I mean, that really taught me the power in how that brought up to sports, you know, in that, in that cohesiveness, that ability to bring people together, you know, from all different backgrounds, it really resonates. And when you have an international sport like soccer doing that, oh man, dude. Yeah. I mean, that's just absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> so in your experience playing growing up and then also with your, with your daughters playing now, you mentioned the money being, being one of the big issues with, with as the main barrier to, to kids playing the game. What are other barriers to this game that you see that um, that people of color are experiencing here in Austin and then anywhere else that you, that you've had experience seeing that. I'd say that, and you know, something that's changed, which is good is that when I was a kid, I was one of the few black players, you know, it was, you know, you either you played football, you played basketball. I mean, and back then let's, let's not, you play baseball, you know, that, and we've seen the attrition of baseball, I think only, I think it's less than 8% of all baseball players are African-American now. So that's shocking to say the least. So you've seen that, you know, the, the attrition rate for baseball. But you played, the, you played those sports. You never really looked at soccer as an opportunity. So you had your best athletes. And a lot of times you would just be like, eh, you know, that's okay. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and 
something else with it as well. And it wasn't really encouraged, you know, from there. And I think that what's interesting now, particularly given the way, you know, concussions and other things that we are talking about in society is that you're seeing your best athletes, you're seeing a different lens of the sport coming in from that. With that said, one of the things that's really hard is that if you're going to these low income areas and let's be blunt, you don't have a good facility. You don't have a, you don't have a place where you can actually kick the ball and the ball goes straight as opposed to hitting, you know, one of those ant mounds and one of those weeds or something else with different, is that really going to be something that's going to excite you? Is that really something that's going to be, you know, entice you to be a part of the sport? No, it's not. And so that's where, you know, it, it makes a big difference when you have clubs or you have organizations who are invested in low income areas, you know, with that. Now I will, I will never say that, um, you know, being a person of color, you know, or being, you know, actually, in fact, allows for, um, or is conflated, excuse me, um, with low incomeness. But we know that unfortunately, in this country, a lot of times you see those two go hand in hand, unfortunately. And if you have to decide if you're going to go ahead and pay rent or pay for food or pay for gas or have your kid play the sport, you're just going to, you're going to go with what, you know, what you need to, those basic, those basic necessities. And it's really, really frustrating when, you know, there are plenty of families that, you know, through the years, you know, helping to run clubs, working that, that we have worked with tirelessly to try to help them be able to go ahead and, and overcome that barrier. But honestly, Landon, there are other families that we just weren't able to because because of the cost. And it was frustrating to us because we're like, man, you know, if you can just have your kid, Go out there. I mean, and, and if anything, you know, okay, you know, yeah, there are some parents who think that their kids are going to play in the World Cup. Okay, we'll put those parents aside. <laughs> but, you know, but so many lessons that you get from playing soccer, from playing a sport, from, you know, dealing, overcoming adversity, teamwork, making sure that, you know, you're only, you're only as strong as your weakest link, um, taking direction, showing leadership, all these things that come with the sport. And you're putting that barrier for folks to not be able to play with it. It's it's heartbreaking. And so, uh, you know, to have a club with the influence and ability and potential that Austin FC does to help break down a lot of those barriers, to help fortify and support a lot of these other clubs, which they've done an excellent job here. You know, I will say that, you know, for a fact, I personally witnessed that Austin FC is not here to replace the other clubs, but to support and buttress the clubs and allow for the kids who can play at the level who can truly look at, you know, possibly playing in the World Cup, playing on that national team level, have that venue and that opportunity to do so, have that through Austin FC. That's amazing. But those barriers that are in place that, you know, particularly when it comes to our financial aspects and working from there, until we get those barriers erased and eradicated, we will not be able to go ahead and have the teams that we need and the players that we need to be significantly competing at an international level that the United States should be, in my opinion. So I have, I have one more, I think it's a quick question for you because we talked about this as part of your background. So in addition to being a coach and a um, parent, you're a ref and you got involved in officiating soccer when you were eight, I believe. And what was your yeah. reason for doing that? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. So, um, so when I was eight years old, and yeah, and this is going to date us. So whoever's watching this podcast, yeah, okay, this is going to date us completely. I wanted to buy the game Super Mario Brothers Two. I really wanted that game. That was like my favorite game. I was like, Dad, see the commercials, Mom, Mom, can we get it? My parents told me they're like, Listen, we're not going to buy you that game, but you can go ahead and start refereeing soccer games, and you can earn the money, and you can go ahead and do what you want, and you know, buy video games and everything else with it. And back then, you know, when you were refereeing these games, I mean, you were out there chalking the lines, getting out there really early in the morning from the Flagstaff. And, you know, you'd be out there for half a day at least, you know, refereeing these little kids. You know, I'm eight years old, so I'd be refereeing little kids, the four-year-olds, five-year-olds, and everything else from that as well. And, you know, and that was back in the day when we had the black shirts, which is one of the reasons why whenever you see me, you know, referee still, I, I wear the black shirts. It's my favorite shirt. It's like, you know, that's classic refereeing for but I remember earning $327 at the end of the season and thinking I was completely rich. <laughs> like, oh, wow, et cetera, right there. And buying, you know, Super Mario Brothers 2 and some other games and working from that. But I also really enjoyed just officiating. 
And, you know, the older I've gotten, the more, you know, became a nationally ranked referee and, you know, working for things, you know, at the, you know, um, not only here in the state of Texas, but traveling, you know, around and officiating around the country right there. Um, it, it's, a, it's a great way to stay in shape. And it's a great way to be a part of the sport. You know, there's just, there's, there, you know, there are some referees who just take things personally. You were like, oh my gosh, you know, what, you know, they're coming after me. So, you know, things are said in the heat and battle, things happen, et cetera. And we all know the sport well enough that we know what's being cheap and what's not, you know, and how to take advantage of working from there as well. And, you know, and it's something I still enjoy to this day doing that. Now here's the sad part. As you know, as the years keep going by, I see myself getting slower and slower and I keep going, Oh man, can I really keep up with that 18 year old, <laughs> you know, running around that bitch, you know, if I'm doing men's league, you know, you know, under 30 or something like that. Oh man. I think I used to be able to run like that <laughs> right here with that as well, but still, nonetheless, the sport is pretty awesome. And, you know, refereeing, I, I would encourage anybody, you know, to please, if you're really interested in the sport, you know, contact myself, contact the local, you know, the, you know, South Texas Soccer Referees Association. Um, it, it's a great way to stay, be a part of the sport, great exercise, and in all sincerity, I think in a lot of ways to give back. Because remember, no matter what, everyone deserves a good referee. And the best referees are the ones you don't notice in the match. That's the truth. <laughs> For sure. So no, uh, what's again, Howard Webb. No Howard Webb. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's good to hear about the career launch by a, a need for Nintendo games. Well, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I really I appreciate the time. Um, is there anything else you wanna you wanna tell us about um, before we go? You know, I, I I'd say keep doing what you're doing. Um, I think it makes a big difference to help spread the knowledge, the ideas, and the excitement that's going on in the community with the club coming here. Um, I, I would say that I'd be remiss, you know, councilman Terror without saying this. Listen, we're all excited and we can't wait for the launch of this club. But the only way that's going to happen is if we go ahead and we decide with personal responsibility with each other to adhere to the CDC guidelines. Meaning that, guys, ladies, I know you don't like wearing a mask. I don't think anyone ever wakes up early in the morning and says, oh, man, awesome. I'm about to go out here right there. Let me put a mask on. Let me go, okay, with that. So I don't think anyone, anyone says that. But I can tell you for a fact that literally our behaviors are affecting whether or not people will get sick and possibly die from this virus. And if we want the ability for people to actually be able to congregate, go to these sports events, you know, have, you know, have these large venues involved with us there, on the pitch, you know, near the pitch in the stadium's excitement. The only way it's going to happen is if we go ahead and adhere to these guidelines. So when we talk about masks, when we talk about social distancing, we're talking about washing, you know, washing your hands, you know, you know, we're not doing this to nag you guys. We're doing this because there's, there's no reason for you to have to make a choice between the economy and the public health. We can do so together, but we've got to be smart about how we go about doing it. Very well said, sir. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for coming on, Rudy. Oh, man. No, thank you, guys. This is awesome right there as well. So just let me know when I can when I can swing it as a co-host at some time and get a cool microphone to ask questions. Just keep showing up, man. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right. We want to thank Rudy one more time for joining us. We hope you guys enjoyed that. We're going to, we're going to try to keep having some, some more interesting interviews like that in the near future. So stay tuned. Uh, we'd like to remind you to rate review and subscribe to the show. We'd also want to ask you to visit capitalcitysoccer.com to keep up to date on all the Austin FC news that's coming out. Check out Reddit and the official Austin FC fan group on Facebook. Uh, we've been engaging with people in these groups quite a bit, and as well as other places on the internet. Uh, we find show ideas. We bounce ideas off of people. So if you guys have any ideas, uh, also get at us on Twitter. We're, we're, we like having these conversations on Twitter as well. So come find us there. If you have something you want to talk about, want us to talk about on the show let us know yeah and i think well, i was really excited by how many people uh listened to the first show but as always you know this is the second episode of a new show so please share with your friends and neighbors um if we hopefully hopefully you like what we're talking about and that's uh the best way to build the audience up is to is through word of mouth and so we appreciate that and we will be back in two weeks we're going to talk to phil west 
um, who's the author of two books about American soccer. Um, he's a writer for MLSsoccer.com. Uh, we'll time that with the return of the MLS's Cup. MLS is back, Cup action. So he'll talk to us about that and kind of everything else is going on in the soccer world. All right, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Until then, I'm Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. Which one of us is going to do the intro again? Uh, I think you should. Okay. <laughs> this is the, this is the, yeah, this is the science behind uh, high quality. <laughs> you know what? All I know is I eat the sausage. I don't really know what goes under the process. <laughs> You're getting a factory tour right now. <laughs> <laughs>